Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that'll change a child's life? I sure hope so. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join them on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, for keynotes from their award-winning best-selling lineup, including author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. I mean, it's funny. We went through, I think we had the easiest first two months in, like, recorded human history because she was just, like, a ridiculously easy baby. And then... Now she's starting to get like, like randomly today she's been crying a lot, and we're like, we don't know why you're crying, you Aww. know, <laughs> like, you know. So it's funny, but she's way too young to notice any of the things you guys are are describing. You know, I don't think she knows what thunder is. Yeah, in a lot of ways, though, it's so much easier to deal with it when they do know what it is and you can talk to them about it. Like, reasoning with a child is turns out to be way easier than trying to, like, divine what is wrong and then propose every possible solution. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 626. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner. If you want to support the show, lots of good bonus content and a book club there. You can also leave a review of the show on the app you're using to listen. That helps a ton. Today, I'm joined by Emma Otegi and Adam Gidwitz, co-authors of The Madre de Aguas of Cuba, book number five in the Unicorn Rescue Society series. If you've been following along with this chapter book series, you have no doubt noticed that it's doing something a little different than the other books out there. Series frontrunner Adam Gidwitz has paired up with a different own voices author for each of the books since the first sequel. The resulting titles have taken readers all around the world to explore region-specific mythical creatures while also exploring the intersection of culture and current events. The latest installment takes place in Cuba, and at the hands of skilled storyteller Emma Otegi, the characters seek to rescue a mysterious creature amid a threat to the area's water supply. As Adam would say, 
This book and the others in the series are filled with, quote, serious fun. And if this is your first entry into the series, have no fear. This book is a great starting point and catches readers up within the first few pages. Please welcome my guests, Emma Otegi and Adam Gidwitz, co-authors of The Madre de Aguas of Cuba, book number five in the Unicorn Rescue Society series. Hello, everyone. I am Emma Otegi. I'm a children's author. I write about Latin American history, and I also write about being a Latina growing up in the United States. Some of my books are the picture book biography, Merci's Song for Freedom. That's a bilingual book. Um, Also, Merci y sus versos por la libertad in Spanish. And uh, my middle grade novel for kids ages 8 to 12 is Silver Meadows Summer. That's a book about a girl who moves from Puerto Rico to upstate New York and finds an abandoned cabin in the woods behind her summer camp. And my most recent book is with my friend Adam Gidwitz, who's also here with us today. And that book is The Unicorn Rescue Society, The Madre de Aguas of Cuba. And I'll let Adam tell you more about that book and The Unicorn Rescue Society. Thanks, Emma. Hi, everybody. I am Adam Gidwitz. Um, he, his, him. And uh, I am an author of many middle grade novels, including A Tale Dark and Grim, and it's Creepy Grim Companions, um, The Inquisitor's Tale, a medieval epic adventure, and um, the series The Unicorn Rescue Society, um, about two kids who travel around the world rescuing mythical creatures from danger. Um, and those books are co-written with authors from other places and cultures and who identify with other cultures um, as we explore the mythology, the history, and the awesome adventures um, in those places. And so Emma and I wrote The Madre de Aguas of Cuba together. I am so glad that you're both here joining me. Welcome back to the podcast now together, though, which is a delight. And and also um, really to see you both collaborating on a series that I've come to love and share with my readers and, and love together with my readers. Uh, it feels really, really special to get to talk to you both. And I know I'll be bringing a lot of them and their passion for your stories as well into our conversation. So thanks. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Matthew. Adam, thanks. you're welcome, of course. Adam, I would love to know... <laughs> uh, what else could I say to that? <laughs> you're, you're, I'm glad you're here. Let's talk about unicorns. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing to be in a library and to see children find books and find a series and find things that they want to read about and read more of, um, and to have a series that is for all of these different entries co-authored with different folks. Adam is it's a really neat thing, and I think that. Well, I've read all of your entries, so I was going to say, I think when you worked with Joseph Bruchak, and I think when you uh, worked, I think the book before this one was with David Bolas, and now with Emma, it's, uh, these are wonderful stories that are taking us all around the world, but also are engaging children, not just in culture, but also in in touch points that, that connect all of us, whether it be an environmental concern or the border wall or... Uh, different things like this that 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 are everyone's issues, 
uh, I just think that they're they're really wonderful. So maybe if you don't mind, could you walk us into this series? What what is it, and how did it start? Yeah, thank you um, so much for those kind words about the series. So it started um, in kind of the setting you were just describing. I was a teacher for eight years, and I remember um, taking kids through our school library through the shelves, and saying, um, "What do you want to read?" And they would say, "I don't know." And I would say, what about this book? And they would say, no. And they would, I would say, what about that book? And they would say, no. And I'd say, like, how about Roald Dahl? And they'd be like, no. And how about Jackie Woods? No. How about this? How about that? No, 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 no. You know, how about Faulkner? Nothing. They wouldn't read anything. <laughs> and oh, and generally, by, by the end, I know. I was like, just, you know, take the Bible and go home. Anyway, they eventually they would admit that they wanted it to be a series. They wanted it to be funny. They wanted it to have adventure. And if it could have animals, that would be better. Um, and these were kids, you know, third grade, fourth grade, second grade, um, uh, fifth grade. And so there are a few series like that. Um, but I generally, gen- I eventually decided that I was like, I'm going to write one of these myself for these kids. Exactly the kind of series that these kids were looking for back when I was taking them through the uh, corridors, the stacks of the school library. And so um, I came across this idea of having a society called the Unicorn Rescue Society um, in which they had never found a unicorn. Um, I thought that that was, you know, amusing and ironic. I think a lot of kids and parents are completely befuddled. They're like, um, where are the unicorns in the book? And I'm like, that's the joke. They, they've never found a unicorn. And they're like, I don't get it. And I'm like, never mind. Um, but they do find a lot of other amazing mythical creatures so in the first book they find a jersey devil which is not at all a devil it's just this weird little um creature my version of it is little in new jersey they find a dragon they help rescue sasquatch um chupacabras and now um a water serpent uh, called the madre de aguas and um it actually only came to me after the first couple books that I should be inviting authors who had much more authentic knowledge of these places than I did. I think we all are learning as we go how we can be better citizens of this world. I know that you know if we think that we know everything, then we um, are deluding ourselves. And so I wanted to at first make a series that was diverse and explored diverse cultures. And then after a while, as I was doing all this research, I was like, you know, and, and the own voices movement was really blossoming. I was like, why am I telling all these other people's stories when working with those people, we could together tell those stories so much better? Um, and so um, starting with Joseph Bruchak and then David and now Emma, um, and the next book will be with Henna Khan, who is a wonderful um, author of books like Amina's Voice and More to the Story. Um, I've been working with these other authors to keep – I mean the books are still fast – hopefully very funny um, adventures about mythical creatures, but they are rooted in the deep understanding of that place, that culture, and the contemporary issues surrounding that culture that somebody like Emma brings. I love that your next book is with Henna Khan. I had no idea. She's a local friend of mine, and that is so exciting. Um, yeah, it's but, awesome. But, I, I've been so lucky to work with authors like Emma and Henna. I was just going to say, to have that opportunity to to look around this robust kid-like community and find storytellers that you admire that can 
that can bring these stories to to even more audiences and with a with a deeper sense of of place and and culture and and I don't know and just a new voice. I feel like sometimes to have the same voice telling these stories over and over, um, bringing a new voice in can help keep keep that series fresh. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. and just better. I mean, I mean, <laughs> seeing what I wrote versus what Emma wrote, and then how we combined it together. I think definitely the she's better than I am. So it was good. I'm glad that she was going to write. Untrue, untrue. Really, this was all to get you onto the podcast to admit that, Adam. So I'm glad that we got that recorded. Thank you, um, ah. <laughs> Emma. Emma, whom I love your work. I know you know this already. This story oh, felt. I love in in co-authored stories when you when you are aware of of the authors individually or you're aware of their work individually. Reading something like this and and feeling the tension of not knowing where one person ends and the other begins, right? That yeah. when when we don't see the the line over which collaboration happens, I think it's the best kind of collaboration. So I, I wonder what working on this book was like for you. What that process was from even from as far back to to first engaging with the idea of doing it uh, to actually working more uh, directly on the manuscript. Yeah, it's, that's, it's really interesting. And what you said about sort of the blurring line of who worked on what, I think, um, you know, one thing I would say, and I don't know what Adam's recollection is, but I think because we, this was such an iterative process for both of us where we went back over parts of the manuscript um, I mean, some parts of the manuscript sort of stayed the same or the book stayed the same from the very beginning, but some parts we kind of revised again and again. And I would write it and then Adam would rewrite it and then I would rewrote what Adam wrote, rewrote and, and, and back and forth, kind of ping-ponging back and forth to the point where now I, I don't know that I could even look at a paragraph and say, oh, I wrote that paragraph or oh, Adam wrote that paragraph. It's really, um, I think our, our voices really did blend together in this book um, quite a bit. And I think that what, working on Unicorn Rescue Society gave me the opportunity to do was um, talk about parts of being a Cuban American that I typically avoid. Um, and I, I think that if you, if you read the book, you'll see that we do talk about some of the really tough um, issues surrounding the relationship between Cuba and the United States, which is something that instinctively I think um you know, one's instinct is to stay away from those topics because they can be divisive, particularly in the Cuban-American community. And so with my other work, I've mostly talked about history. I've mostly talked about Cuban-American identity, but sort of um, separated from the political relationship between Cuba and the United States. And because the Unicorn Rescue Society is a series that really um, does tackle hard issues for children in a very engaging and kind of friendly uh context and i think especially the chupacabra book that adam and david did together really paved the way for the madre de aguas of cuba because if you've read the chupacabra book you know that it gets into some of the really nitty-gritty issues surrounding um the the border in in the united states and it's um it's just really getting into these tough border issues for kids and so i think that really for me open things up for me to really say, okay, if I were, if there were no, if there were no sort of um, rules about what I felt like I could write about and what I felt like I could say, if I really felt like we could just get into it, 
what would we say? Um, and then I think Adam also sort of asking questions about the way I and maybe other Cuban Americans um, think about our relationship to the island of Cuba itself really just led us to some fruitful and I think difficult discussions. And I think um, I think that the product really gives kids the chance to actually see these issues from multiple perspectives um, and, and I think doesn't talk down to them, you know, doesn't assume that they're not capable of engaging with the difficulties and the ambiguities and the tensions surrounding these, these relationships. So that was, that was tough and exciting. Nice. That's one of the things I'm most, um, I'm most uh, proud of about the series and what, what Emma and I managed to do together is um, if there, excuse me, if there's a criticism that I would, uh, readily ad- admit to uh, for the series, it, it does, you know, expect a lot of the kids, as funny as the series is, um, and as like much, you know, madcap humor as there is. You know, when we go into serious topics, I mean, Emma wanted to talk about the syncretic nature of uh, the Caribbean experience that you take um, beliefs from different cultures and they get layered on top of each other in a way that's really hard to entangle syncretism in the Caribbean is that that's a subject for like second through fourth graders well yeah it can be because we really believe that children are really really smart um uh and so we try to talk about it in a context that's like super fun and super silly but we also do it really seriously so yeah when you when Emma says we don't talk down to people um that's very much uh both both of what we believe we believe that like kids are probably smarter than adults in almost all cases and they should be treated (laughs) as such Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. I think that... And that I think that this is the lived experience of kids in this country, because, you know, I think especially talking about those, those questions of you know, the um, synchronicity in the Caribbean, um, the way in which these relationships between Cuba and the United States and other parts of the Caribbean um, and other parts of the world all interact. These are things that kids in, you know, go into any classroom in New York City and you will find children whose families are from the Caribbean um, who experience these connections between European, African, indigenous cultures in their everyday lives. And so I think it's it's not only are kids ready for the challenge of talking about tough topics, but that it reflects their, for many kids, it reflects their lived reality much more than kind of simplifying things would. I think that if you are writing as I believe you do, if you're writing from the perspective of some children will have had some form of conversation with the adults they live with on some of these topics. And if they haven't, how can we anticipate what questions Mm -hmm. those children would ask in order to respond to them? That's where I feel like 
you're managing here. I've had children ask me on any number of books, what does this mean? Mr. Winner, what does it mean when they say this? Um, and it's good that the children are asking that and that they have adults in their lives where they feel like they can ask. It's more like how, how that can become uh, a barrier for some kids to proceed forward in the story if they don't understand, then they're missing context or they're missing uh, some bit of understanding that'll help them. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't write from that place, of course. Uh, I think, though, that is part of what I feel sets this series apart. I listen almost exclusively to to middle grade and above uh, through audiobooks because I just am a terribly slow reader, and that's something that I own about myself. But to start with the Chupacabra's book on audio uh, and to go here and to go through the back catalog at the same time of all of these stories, uh, you you are, especially as you said, with, with the entry with David and now with Emma, you, the, the, the three of you in that way are really taking on, taking on something that if you didn't acknowledge it among your readers, I feel like you'd be, um, you'd be deceiving them. You'd be ignoring them. You'd be refusing to see them and their experiences. And that, I think, as a person that works with young children daily, is intolerable. Books that ignore the reader are 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 books that are not for every reader, and that's not okay. Mm. Also, you mm. do this with <laughs> somehow balancing. Well, I guess. Not somehow. You're doing it because you're seeing the whole person. We all engage in tough topics, but we all carry ourselves forward with humor. That's 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 you're not just dashing humor into the story to sort of make it, I don't know, palatable for young children or something. It's because that's how we get by. We get by because we have hope and because we see light in one another and because these Schmoke brothers are awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> and there are moments when you just have to be like, who are you? How do you think that you're okay doing this? But also in this book, you have them at this organization of 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 farmers and and doing things that that corporations can do, that businesses can do, which is to take advantage of and then to monopolize on other people and on other people's suffering um and to see an organization that is controlling that i think allows children the critical lens or the invitation to view through a critical lens lots of things that are happening in their world that's i'm glad i mean we you know definitely uh don't shy away from a little bit of social satire um (laughs) and uh uh you know the the slogan of Schmoke Internet Hospitality. I think Schmoke International Hospitality Group is treating you the way you deserve, um, <laughs> which is, you know, that kind of uh, double speak um, cynicism that I think exists too much in the world. And and yeah, I mean, I I think that's the thing that the reason that I write exclusively for children is because you don't have to choose between social commentary and humor, between talking about syncretic cultures and making poop jokes right that um kids 
are recognize that humans are all of those things. And too often as adults, we sort of separate those into buckets and we say, now I'm reading a very serious book and now I'm going to read a funny book. Um, and uh, kids aren't like that at all. When I was a teacher, my byword, my philosophy was embodied by the words serious fun. We were going to seriously engage with difficult things and have fun doing them. And we were going to have fun uh, really seriously. So um, that's that's sort of my philosophy in all my books, even though it takes a different form in, in each series. Adam, did you come into this series with a number of different mythical uh, creatures that you were aware of already? I find that uh, in particular, the Madre de Aguas was one that I was not aware of, but I'm sure other children would be. Um, I'm, so I'm wonder, not sure. I certainly wasn't. I, I just wondered um, if you had sort happens, of like a, a checklist or something. Yeah, that, that was not making at all. you no, curious. No, the, the process is the is the reverse. What hmm. I do is I identify authors who I really respect um, and say, "Hey, would you want to write one of these books? And if so, what do you think we should write about?" So that's how I approached Emma. I said, "Emma, um, I I've actually known Emma personally for a really long time. I loved the writing that she was doing." Um, and I said, hey, Emma, would you consider writing one of these books with me? And if so, what would you want to write about? Um, and we went from there. So it was really Emma who came upon the Madre de Aguas and led us through the research process that brought us to this book. That's so cool. And it was for me, it was sort of an interesting process settling on a creature because we actually went through a few different possibilities before we chose the Madre de Aguas. And um and that was kind of an interesting process for me because not only did I get to read, um, you know, I've read various Cuban anthropologists um, and, uh, you know, various folklorists to kind of get a sense of what the possibilities were. And I think the most impactful thing that I did while we were sort of settling on how we would approach a Cuba story was I actually called my great aunt who has since passed away, um, but somebody who really was, you know, uh, a very old woman at the time we had this conversation and, and therefore lived the better part of her life in Cuba. And I just talked to her about stories and myths that, you know, she grew up with as a kid. And some of those were ones that we're all familiar with. So some of them were not really Cuban specific. Some of them uh, were just not a good fit for kids. And I think the nice thing about the story about the Madre de Aguas is that it is a, the Madre de Aguas is a figure that exists in many, especially Caribbean cultures, but also other Latin American cultures. And yet is the way the story is told in Cuba is very unique. So it allowed us to kind of approach this figure in a way that that felt um, that felt capacious in terms of taking in and and honoring the very many diverse cultures that are all connected in different ways that exist, but also really hone in on things that are unique about Cuba. Emma, as you were writing, did you find, uh, as you were writing these these voices that have already been established by by Adam, thinking of Yuchena and Elliot and Professor Fauna, did you find that you were able to likewise fall into their voices in the way that their personalities, the way that they exist on the page? Was that sort of part of the dance that happened between you and Adam? I wonder what that side of the collaboration looked like. Oh, that was so much fun. I mean, I think Uchenna and Elliot and Professor Fauna are just some of the the most fun characters 
that I, it was a joy to get to write. And I think, uh, you know, if I can make fun of Adam a little bit, I kind of thought of Adam, what I thought about Elliot. I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if Adam can confirm <laughs> that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. The nervous Jew. Great. <laughs> yeah. So I typecast Adam and just kind of had him and imagining what Adam would have been like as a little boy in my head. Um, and uh, that really. It's not fair me. because you you didn't know me as a little boy and yet you're exactly right. So it's completely unfair. <laughs> Emma, and, I, and I and object. So that was really fun. But also because it's not only Adam. I think I have um, many nervous, uh, fussy, kind of very precise rule abiding kids in my life. I think I was that very conscientious kid in many ways. Um, and I think I always uh, aspired to be someone like Uchenna, who was just like cool under pressure in any situation in a way that was just so awesome. Um, and I, I just love, I love the dynamic between Uchenna and Elliot. I think it's just a really sweet and productive friendship. I think that both of them keep each other keep each other safe and honor each other's personalities in really special ways because obviously I mean Uchenna would you know who knows what kind of trouble she would get in if she didn't have Elliot keeping her in check but also all of the things that Elliot would miss out on if he didn't have Uchenna I think pushing him to put himself into situations that he wouldn't otherwise. I like that. But it's true that we all sort of wish that we were Uchenna or see ourselves in Uchenna. After the first book came out, I, I did a bunch of outreach in southern New Jersey where the book takes place, including some pretty rural areas of southern New Jersey. And uh, after uh, I left the schools, I got a message from one of the teachers uh, a few weeks later saying that four of her boys were playing a game they called the Uchenna game every day at recess where they got to each take turns pretending to be Uchenna. So everyone else had to be other characters from the book. And each day, a different boy, and these all were white boys, got to pretend to be Uchenna. I don't know what to read into that, except that I think we all just want to be her. I think that giving space with these characters for so many children to step in and want, want to be a companion or want to be the character themselves I think is a lot of fun. I love Emma too, that the way, the way you found the Madre de Aguas and the way that you both wrote this sea creature was so whimsical. And I found each of the mythical creatures throughout these books are all so different that I, I can't help but imagine that you have readers that are feeling a great bit of wonder and, and curiosity and maybe even looking for those creatures themselves. And I'm, I'm saying that with as much respect as I can muster because I feel like to be able to dance that line of fantasy but still invite readers to, to imagine and to fantasize along with you that what if these creatures were real? What if you could carry one around in your backpack and it kept getting out? Or what if... What if there was one in this case that that seemed elusive and yet so incredibly powerful that that it controlled the water itself um and yet these the the Schmoke brothers found a way to in fact control it um I think that that there's there's a lightness and a a play to it but also there's also something so grounded that that allows us to to 
to really want to believe. And I can't quite put my thumb on how to communicate that, but, but I guess I can just say thank you for the care you both took to make these characters this way because because we do want to play in this world. Thank you, but are you implying that these creatures are not real? Because if you're reading the books, Matthew, then it's quite clear that these creatures may indeed exist and in fact probably do. Just just got to put that out there. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say that they are as a as a person who has yet to encounter and I I mind you, this is my fault because I am not questing to find things. But should I go and quest? I think, I think I would have, I think that I would find some things. I have some things that I wonder about too, Adam. I got to say, I would not be, I, I, I would need Uchenna to take me <laughs> to certain places, but there are locations even in our own state or in our own country that, that I wonder about. And I think that I wonder about because my grandfather was so good at helping me look when we walk through the woods together when we hike through the Mm. woods he was so good at helping me to look and I know that even now and even without him in my life anymore I'm still looking and so I'm grateful for for you in that sense too as authors to help invite children to look because not all of us have that opportunity to have someone I had one person in my life doing that um, and not, not, not all of us even have that one person. So, so thank you in that way. Thank you. Matthew, does your school have an extra parking spot in the parking lot? My school have an extra spot? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, um, perhaps. <laughs> well, I think you should leave some room for Professor Fauna's Phoenix. You're so good. You never know. For it. <laughs> so good. I, um, before we go, and I'm being visited by, um, by a five-year-old superhero, a ladybug girl, um, who is about to go on some adventures of her own, I wanted to, um, ask you, Adam, about, about sort of the bonus that we get in this audiobook, and I, 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 I haven't seen the print books, um, to examine for this, but, um, I know in the audiobook we get some bonus stories that take us to a different place in time uh, than what is going on in, in the rest of the uh, Unicorn Rescue Society books. Could you talk a little bit about, about those short stories? Yes. Um, and that you um, are only listening to the audiobooks makes sense because we haven't actually spoken any about the incredible art that Hatem Ali um, contributes to all these series. And so those of you who are able to go get the books um, do just because the uh, drawings on almost every page drawn by Hatem, uh, who also illustrated my book, The Inquisitor's Tale, and has in- a number of incredible uh, books under his belt, uh, the Yasmin series. Um, anyway, he also has incredible illustrations and marginalia around these medieval unicorn stories that, Matthew, you're referring to. So I call these stories the secret order of the unicorn, and uh, this is the backstory that takes place in the early Middle Ages in the 800s about uh, what happened to the unicorns, right? Because I said the Unicorn Rescue Society hasn't found any unicorns yet. Um, well, if you read all of these secret, I'm sorry about the crashing in the background, that's Brooklyn for you. If you read all of these um, secret order of the unicorn stories that are bonuses at the end of each book, 
Uh, so in fact, there are unicorns in the series. Uh, you're welcome, parents and booksellers. Um, by the end of the series, these stories will create an arc that you will lead you to where the unicorns are just in time for Fauna and Elliot and Uchenna to find the unicorns themselves in the present day. That is so wonderful. So have you planned out a certain number of books in that way then to pace this or you're, you're just finding that pacing as you go, I wonder? Um, it should be uh, seven books to complete the unicorn arc. That doesn't mean we'll end the series after seven books, but the, the unicorn arc will take seven books. That's wonderful. And I'm so glad you brought up Hatem. Um, he was on when, when we first talked about the Inquisitor's Tale. Yes. And, and has been on again with Sadia Faruqi about the Meet Yasmin series. And um, that is a good uh, reminder for me as a person that does consume so many audiobooks to make sure that when the children return, our copies, our print copies of of these books, I should leaf through them and, and get a chance to to see what he's done because I've admired the covers. I think the covers are some of what have been drawing so many readers in, um, but to know inside that, that he's, he's done um, so much of that wonderful work as well is really exciting. And yeah, the artwork of the Madre de Aguas is like, I just think that uh, the, the artwork that uh, Hatem has done for the Madre de Aguas is like ferocious. Like the, the full weight of how ferocious and powerful this creature is, is really conveyed through the artwork. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Oh, that's so cool. I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you that my four-year-and-a-half-year-old daughter, too young to read the book, but she likes when I get books in the mail, especially these, to take picture walks through them. Um, so we, we did the picture walk through it, and there's this one page. The, the phoenix crashes in the, in the Havana Bay. We see like a little Madre Aguas coming at them. And then the next page, you turn the page, and the Madre Aguas is roaring up out of the water. At the at the kids and um, Ellie like screams every time she sees it and then asks to do it all again. So um, yeah, the 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 drawings have the visceral power even for a kid who's not even hearing the story to know just what's happening. They, yeah, Ellie's upset. They're really carrying narrative weight for us. It's really just uh, it, I, I have this. It's that exact page turn that I'm thinking of, Adam, because it's just it gets me every time. It's so great. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait! Oh, I can't wait. That's so cool. Well, congratulations to you both on on another great entry in this series, but just for 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 all that this book does and the weight that it takes up and and the the conversations that it opens with readers. I think it's beautiful. My um 10-year-old has not read this book but was so interested in the audiobook as I was listening, he was asking me about it. Um that I'm quite sure he's going to go and read the entire series and that to be able to have something that I think sticks in your mind so much that as you're recounting it makes another reader so excited is, is just wonderful. It's a gift you've given to all of us. So thank you all so much for being with me and doing what you do for readers. Thank you for talking to us about, about this book. It's been a real pleasure. Always is. Totally. Emma Otegi, I'm going to start with you thinking about those readers Ooh. and the parking spot we're going to save for them for, for Professor Fauna. That's a great idea. <laughs> that is. Even a space for the Phoenix <laughs> might show up. It is the greatest. Um, 
I will ask you that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Emma, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? You know, I think that the last time I was on this podcast, I, I probably said something more akin to what you're thinking of. But I think today and right now, the only thing I can I can think of to say to kids, um, especially kids who are who are returning to school in, in such a difficult moment is is that I is that I'm very sorry that the adults and particularly those in leadership positions have not done more um, to to keep kids safe, to keep kids engaged and able to return to their to their daily lives. And that also that it doesn't have to be this way, that that societies and, and, and so countries and cities and towns and states are are capable of, of tackling this crisis. And, and I, I know we will tackle this one. And I'm sorry that we we haven't done better by kids in the last six months and and that it doesn't have to be this way. And, and I hope that this generation that is that is coming up now will will know that and bring that to the way that they live and work in the world in the future. Thank you, Emma. Adam, I'll see a library full of children. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Yeah, I would say that um, during all times in life, but especially difficult times like this one, um, there is one thing that no matter what happens, they can never take away from you. In fact, there are a lot of things, but the thing that they can never take away from you that I rely on most is my imagination. Uh, you could lose power and have no TV in your house. You could lose the lights and have no books. All of your parents could be locked downstairs in the kitchen while you're locked upstairs in your bedroom. And you could play and imagine for hours and hours and hours and create the most incredible worlds, the incredible, most incredible characters, the most incredible scenarios. You can make yourself laugh like an idiot. I do that all the time. In fact, my job is to make myself laugh like an idiot and then I write it down and hopefully other people laugh too. So when things feel kind of glum, spend as much time as you can imagining. It's what's going to get us all through it. At least it's what's going to get me through it. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. 
That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.